It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as the Before Trilogy, the Terminalist, and more. That was my movie of the year that year, my personal movie of the year. I need to look for that list. I, I maintained the. I started this list a few years back, where I just wrote, like every year, like from 1920 to present day, just the years, like on the left margin. And, I would just go through them, and. And because there's a lot of years, like a hundred years, um, <laughs> first of all, I would just try to think of what, off the top of my head, without actually doing research, what do I recall as my favorite movie of this year, that year, or whatever. And then once I put in the ones that I knew off the top of my head, then the ones I couldn't recall, then I would just look up that year and look at what the best movies were that year, and then p- select what was my personal best picture for my own personal reasons so i started filling in the years and i filled in quite a bunch of the years but there's still a bunch of blanks especially like in the 30s 40s 50s you know um but that was my personal movie of the year and it was tight for me because i believe that's the same year that first man came out yep and i love both those movies so much but I gave it to Roma in my own personal Academy Awards um, with First Man as the runner-up. Yeah, didn't uh, didn't the Coen brothers put out a film around that same time? The uh, yeah, they were doing a couple of Netflix things, and I know I missed them all. Yeah, well, they did the sh- the, the the something of Barry Shrugs or whatever. I think that's it. Yeah, the ballad. Yeah, Sean quite likes that. I it's it's. Have you seen it? Nope. It's like a little an- it's like a mini anthology, like, kind of like the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, okay. So it's a movie, but um, it's broken into segments, like the Twilight Zone movie, and so there's like I don't know a total of four stories or something like that. But I only watched like the first three. Maybe there's five mm-hmm. stories. I don't know. Also, kind of like the French Dispatch, how it's divided into yep. sections. Um, yeah, portmanteau or uh, anthology. I think most people yeah. call it. Oh, I didn't know that. What was that first word you said? Portmanteau. Portmanteau is that like a, um, like Italian word or something? Or I think I think the Brits call them that, and I just for whatever reason picked it up, and that's what I think of as anthology movies. Portmanteau. I don't know why that's that's the one. Because Sean's the one who taught me in the last year um, the term picaresque, which is a cousin to portmanteau, but not the same thing. 
Interesting. Picaresque. Picaresque is... Well, Fast Times is a good example. Um, have you seen Little Women from the 90s? Yep. So I just watched that this weekend. The one with Winona Ryder. And that movie is picaresque, just like Fast Times. Which is... Oh, also A Christmas Story is picaresque. So you're following the characters or whatever, but it's like they have like a a four-minute, this is what happened, and then bloop, it's wrapped. And then there's like another four-minute segment, bloop, and then, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So like in Little Women, it's like... Uh, um, oh shit! I, I just saw it. It's like I can't even recall the movie. Although the only segment I can think of right now is the one with the ice skating, and then she falls through the ice, and then they save her. And, you know, and that's like just it. Just it takes four minutes, and then it goes to the next thing, and then it goes to the next thing, and it goes to the next thing. Oh, or like in Christmas. Yeah, and usually pretty big, uh, pretty big time jumps in between. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean there has to be time jumps or huge time jumps. It just, but it just means it's almost like. It's like watching the, what is it, the Todorovsky, whatever, Clone Wars. Oh, yeah, Tartakovsky, yeah. It's just like that. It's like you get mm. three-minute little bites of something, and then it leads to the next, and it leads to the next, and it leads to the next. That's what picaresque is. Um, and, of course, Linklater is sometimes like that. Like in Stalker. Uh, I'm happy you brought that up, because I was going to say, would you say the Before Trilogy Yeah, at times feels that way? Oh, have you seen it? Uh, over the weekend, I watched all three. Yeah. Oh, motherfucker! Oh, that's another podcast to do. <laughs> yeah. That's another podcast to do. I don't want to talk too much about it, but, it, but we probably won't do that soon because there's so much shit on the table right yeah. now. I will mention this. Well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was surprised how much he referenced not only Slacker in the first uh, Before Sunrise, but also all the references to, uh, I guess you could say subtle references to that first movie. Uh, how whatever that plow movie is <laughs> oh the yeah 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 the silent one yeah with all the train shots just constant shots of trains i was like oh man like this feels like it's absolutely a reference to that first movie oh what was i doing or maybe just a fascination maybe he's obsessed with trains but <laughs> um oh, i was doing something like i okay so stillman had favorited our tweet and so then <laughs> i was just looking at his twitter feed and, you know, I noticed, yeah, he seems to favorite a lot of things that either tag him or mention one of his movies. And so I was going through that, and I saw that he liked to tweet because there was a podcast that did a podcast on, on not on, I don't know if it was Metropolitan or Barcelona, but so I saw that. And then, and then I clicked on that podcast. No, I think they did Metropolitan. And, um, no, shit. Yeah, yeah, it was Metropolitan. And so they had just done an episode of Metropolitan. And so I just tweeted the podcast saying, hey, I'll listen to your episode if you listen to our episode. <laughs> just kidding. I'm going to listen to yours anyway. They never got back to me, but I did listen to like almost half of their podcast on. Um... No, 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 that's not what I did. I uh, So I saw they did an episode. I did what I just said. And so then I was looking at the podcast Twitter feed of theirs and i saw that they just recently did slacker as well and i thought oh that's a coincidence because yeah. so i actually listened to their slacker episode uh, and i listened to about half of it and it was interesting just hearing them talk about it because 
this guy and this girl. So she had some things to say because she had lived in Austin oh, uh, maybe in 2010 or something. She had lived there for a year. And the guy, he had only like visited Austin like once or something or something or and he and he didn't know anything about Linklater's work and he'd never you know and or maybe he'd never been to Austin but but it was just interesting hearing the perspective of someone who had just been there for a little while but in more recent times and then this other guy who didn't really know what Texas was like and he was a lot younger um and so it was just it's just interesting hearing their perspectives um on the movie and stuff and then there's of course there's times when you want to say something because like they were talking about oh and even Linklater's in the movie himself at the very beginning you know he's talking about life being like a dream and and like like he dreamt that he had, like he was riding all these buses and going somewhere but he didn't really know where he was going and like we said or I said because I watched the special features that he's basically describing the first movie um when he's in the cab but they didn't realize that, and so like I was, you know, I'm like trying to talk to the podcast, like, oh. <laughs> it's he's describing the events of it because the guy did say, I think he did some kind of like, you know, student film before this, but he didn't know much about it. So, but I was, I was like wanting to yell at the podcast, like that's what he was talking about in the cab. Um, but uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you, but no, but but what else about the the trilogy? Oh. Uh... Hmm. Well, I would say the first two definitely. Uh, Did you like it? Was it like you like one, but you didn't care for the other two, or you like it all together as a single work, like the concept, or or maybe he did it, he went too far. Yeah, that is the funny thing about uh, my viewing, because uh, a friend of mine's been wanting to go through them with me for a long time, and they just so happened to be playing on the Criterion Channel for like a limited uh, engagement. So they're only playing yeah. to the end of the month. Uh, so we're like, oh, why don't we just... Or more, she was like, why don't we just watch them all? And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. It was definitely a curious way to watch them in sequence, one after the other. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've done it. But it, it was it was, it was, was cool. I, I really liked the first two. Those definitely shot to, my, to the top of my list for the stuff I've seen from Linklater. That third one, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I'd have to give that one a second viewing to really... I'll give you my short take. So, sure. <laughs> I saw the original many years ago, but I mean, probably almost 20 years ago. Uh, nah, maybe it was 15. I don't know. But for the longest time, the first two movies were only available on DVD. Like, there was no Blu ray versions at all or HD streaming. It was only SD. And I always love those movies, but they look like shit on DVD, especially the first one. Um, they always bother me. Uh, and and um, and then of course the, the the third one came out, and and that's the only one I saw at the movies. And real quick, my reaction to the third one. Um, no, no, I'll get to that in a second. The reaction, <laughs> but the third one obviously came out much more recently and it, you know it's digitally pristine i mean that's how it was at the movies and then it was the first one that i owned on blu-ray obviously because like i said the first two were only on dvd and i had them on dvd so then i had the so i got i bought the third one when it had its regular release on blu-ray 
and you want to talk about weird when you watch the two dvds and then the blu-ray i mean it already looks fucked up in hd anyway if you watch all three but if you watch the first two in sd and then watch the third one it's so fucking jarring um because of the quality of everything and the fact that the first two were shot analog and the third one wasn't shot analog that's so fucking annoying but anyway um and then i discovered there was the criterion set which had been out but i didn't know it existed and i was like oh my god because these are blu-rays and they're restored so i bought it as soon as i saw that it was for sale and i got it and i was fucking blown away because while they're not perfect perfect the blu-rays just blow the dvds out of the water and i had even purchased them streaming in sd but the blu-rays were just like divine and i was like oh my god i'm finally seeing the mo- these movies for the first time the, like the original bl- dvds look like bootlegs um and so i just love the set but even with the criterion you still see the distinction of how the third one is pristine um so the first one i absolutely adore and i personally call it like my number one it's it's on my list of most most romantic movies ever romantic in a in a in a rom-com sense not obviously not in the other sense um and yeah it's my number one most romantic movie ever is the, the first one and the first time i watched it i just thought it was fucking brilliant because it perfectly in my opinion as a piece of art it perfectly reflects everything about not love at first sight but that first initial meeting of someone who you connect with and i say in a artistic way because obviously it's not like a doc it's not literally a documentary or meant to be exactly real but it just like a poem or a song can capture the essence of something real I feel like that movie captures the essence of exactly what it's like to meet with someone who you connect with and especially when because you know they they kind of separate because they have to go their separate ways at the end of the movie mm-hmm. and, and and it's just like that feeling when you meet someone like if you went on vacation somewhere and then you met someone there and you just like wow you just have the greatest time over there with, and then you have to go back home and then you wonder like are we still gonna be in touch or was that just like a summer thing Mm-hmm. And I and I love how it's open ended because you don't really know like do they come back and da 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 da, and then obviously when the set when you get to the second one I mean if you had to wait like it's I know it's approximately seven years had passed until he made the second one, um, and you go oh shit now we get to find out right, and then that movie while I don't think it's as amazing as the original I still really love it because once again it really encapsulates uh and for me what happened was it reminds me of when i would when because when social media started becoming a thing uh because it it didn't exist when i was in high school but it, it did exist like six or seven years after my high school years and so that's when me people my age we all started reconnecting from people with people from high school for the first time because that didn't exist before and so we were constantly, people my age, Generation X, were constantly connecting with people we hadn't seen for seven years, like through social media. 
And so you were constantly like adding a new person, like, oh my god, what have you been doing, you know? And catching up. And some of them were with girls who just like the movie, just like in a movie, like you didn't keep in touch after high school. You maybe you were acquaintances in high school, not, not like the best friends, but then you just start messaging them on on MySpace, and it's like, hey, let's hang out or let's talk on the phone, and then you get to know them, and it's like, wow, we have this thing going on. Um, so that movie very much reminded me of that experience of what was happening with social media at the time in my real life. And then going to the third movie, so I saw it at the movies, and that was the first and only one I saw at the movies. And I went with my girlfriend at the time, <laughs> and it made the movie extremely cathartic because at first I was like, okay, it's it's cool to catch up with these characters, but this does not seem nearly as great as the first two because of the situation and. I'm not connecting with him being in Greece and meeting these people. And yeah, he had a kid, but the kid is like dispatched like right from the start just to get out of the way. Um, fine, fine, whatever. But then when he gets to like the third or final act, I don't know if it's the third or the fourth act, when they're looking forward to hooking up in that hotel or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're about to get it on and then everything goes sideways... Um, and then as that played out, and they, when their argument and everything, it started getting real cathartic because obviously the theme or thesis of the third one movie is to show the beginning of the end of something, you know, because they obviously reconnected in the second. And and then now we're seeing the beginning of the end because, you know, it's, it's like a, the third stage of a relationship of the trilogy. And so it was getting cathartic because as it played out on screen, I felt like me and my girlfriend were at that stage at that time. Mm. Like we were at the beginning of the end. So then it made the movie hit harder at the end because then I was now self-reflecting on my current situation. Um, So that's what redeemed it for me. It made it have more (laughs) significance um, in the end. And it's a shame because if they followed the seven approximately seven year rule, then the fourth one should have come out like just before the pandemic, I think. And uh, of course, it hasn't. And it's not that I want a fourth one, except for because he's ex- he's explored the first love situation, the reconnecting situation, the beginning of the end situation. So now there needs to be a movie to reflect on the post mortem. You know. Yeah, that could be cool. Be cool. And and it and you kind of get to see that with the relationship of Michael Corleone and 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 what's her face throughout the 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 Godfather trilogy. You see them go mm. through the same stages of relationship. And so, you know, there you go. Oh, that's cool. There I just I just did another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we'll definitely save <laughs> Some of the more in-depth discussion for those movies. Yeah, because I I don't I don't think I would want to do the trilogy. Yeah, all in one go. As a whole, yeah, I'd rather break yeah. it up to like think deeper and harder on each individual. But yeah, and once I got that set, because I was talking about that in the Metropolitan podcast, because I listened to half of our own podcast as well. Uh, when I was talking about how I had started buying Criterion stuff, so I was looking for the best sellers. 
That's why I bought the Metropolitan box. That's also when I realized, oh shit, there's this Linklater box as well. Oh my god, I have to have this. Um, <laughs> so it was around that same time. And then once I watched it, obviously I was already a fan of Linklater, but then that just cemented mm. it. Like once I, oh no, actually, because I saw the trilogy prior to the Criterion set, so actually take it back it would have been like around circa 2008 or something when i had the dvds and stuff or maybe 2006 and when i watched those first two that's why i was like oh i'm all in on link later between between a uh, slacker and uh, days of confused which is also picaresque days of confused um and then i saw those before sunrise uh before midnight uh i, I was in even though I still have yet to see all his movies, but it doesn't matter. And then, like, you know, I saw Boyhood, and that was cool, too. Mm. But the before trilogy is obvious, obviously superior to Boyhood. Yeah, significantly yeah, better. And that is what I was going to say about, uh, I think, my problem with Before Midnight is there was such kind of a, such a focused lens on those first two, and there's this kind of free-flowing kind of naturalism between the two performances there's something about that third one like we have that really extended dinner scene with those yeah whatever that family was in greece which yes. i didn't really care for a lot of that stuff felt totally agree much more scripted and contrived so that kind of put me off totally agree totally agree with all that um but i really loved uh, during the first two you could see these kind of personality quirks that they kind of gave each other in between mm-hmm. like the first one uh it was a jesse he was like super cynical about everything and oh uh, yes yes and then she was all wide-eyed and kind of you know kind of i don't know a word but i was gonna say dewy-eyed we just kind of had a wonder for the world and then they completely swap in the next one yeah i thought that was a really clever uh clever bit of writing on their part three of them that yes i forgot about that element and that is fantastic um the other thing that's a, that alarms me when i reflect back on those movies is she is absolutely gorgeous in the first one. Mm. She's abs- she's absolutely gorgeous for her age in the second one. I mean, a person at that point in her life. And then for the age that she is in the third one, all things considered, she's gorgeous for that age bracket. But then when you see pictures of what she looks like, I saw some articles online in the last couple of years. Uh, where she's reflecting on the before trilogy and then when mm-hmm. you see photographs of what she looks like now it's that whole thing of like oh my god like why do humans age so quickly like why does the flower wilt so quickly and i'm not commenting on her attractiveness i'm commenting on what seems like the brevity of a human lifespan that's what i'm commenting on yes that's what that's the funny thing about actors is because yeah they're like frozen they're frozen at this time in this one movie you could look at it and yeah it was like 10 years ago then you see them now and it's like whoa how did 10 years have that much impact and and as each seven year span transpires you know the change accelerates yeah you know what i mean between the first the second second third and then you see her today holy shit like shit just went like off the rails the uh the roller coaster just went off the rails and he's aged as well but you know the unfortunate stereotype is that for whatever reason men seem to get more handsome with age yeah um, and then you know i don't want to 
play into it, but it's a thing for a reason, a stereotype for a reason. It was kind of funny though, because uh, so I thought Ethan Hawke was super duper attractive in that first one. And then in the second one, it's like he lost a lot of weight in his face or something. He had this terrible haircut. And so he looked a lot less appealing in that one. And I thought when the third one came around, I was like, okay, now he's getting back to a, a better medium in terms of look-wise. <laughs> and now, and, and right now, Ethan Hawke, it depends what you see him in. Because I saw him recently in Moon Knight, and he was in something else recently besides that. Um, yeah, the Black Phone. Not that. I mean, I know he was in that, but the, I didn't see that. Oh. It was something else. Uh, another movie. Don't remember. But uh, in whatever the other thing was, like his character just by design looked so scruffy looking. Like he looked like a homeless man. But mm. then uh, in, in Moon Knight, he has his hair back like Steve Seagal, Steven Seagal or something. He's supposed to play this weird cultish guru in Moon Knight. So... Mm-hmm. He hasn't aged as badly as she, but he's, it depends. Like he, when he plays the hobo and whatever I was looking in, he looks all jacked up. He kind of reminds me of old Nick Nolte, how he looks like a homeless man. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a, you know what I'm talking about though. You've seen him like in stuff, and he just looks kind of crazy. It's like John Hurt in his older years. If if you know if you give him disheveled hair, he looks like a crazy man as well. Yeah, age is a it's a hell of a thing. Oh, it's alarming. Oh, man, she looks so old now. Oh, it's so... Oh, um, yeah, that's the other funny thing with films, too, is they can catch you, like, right on the cusp, like, right before you're reaching that kind of change. And so then the, the dramatic change seems so much bigger because you caught them, like, right at the end. Mm-hmm. So I always think that's funny. God, and, oh, she's like... She's like the stereotype, like, the hot European girl. Oh, man. Like... She's like the kind of girl that like a, a North American, an American would just like fantasize, like fantasize slash fetishize, like in their mind, of what it would be like to just meet some exotic European girl, like with the accent and just like that. I don't know what it is, some kind of Euro thing. Um, and I, don't, oh, man, I love those movies. Oh, but. Uh... Yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to mention before we jump into, uh, unless you have a couple things. No, go ahead. But I uh, I did go see Nope, and right oh, yeah. before that movie played, I saw the trailer for Oppenheimer. Right. Was it you who told me that, that you saw the trailer? Oh, I don't know. I Or, like, messaged me. Someone messaged me that they saw it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was just a teaser trailer. It wasn't a full trailer, but either way, it got me super, super hyped. So I'm very. Let me see what I see on the interwebs. You know what? Maybe I did see a teaser for this too, like three months ago. Uh, and I wonder if it was the same one or if the one I saw was even more brief or nondescript than whatever you saw. Was it in black and white? The teaser. I think that the scenes of the actual people were in black and white. But then we had all these like interludes of fire, just like explosions, and those were all in very vivid color. I'm gonna watch the standard preview, because uh, I can't remember if I saw this or not, like before Top Gun or something. Yeah, and they pulled. They were kind of tricky with it too, because all the other trailers ended, the lights came down in the theater, and it played like the movie was about to start, and then another right. trailer showed up. And I was like, oh, wow, what's, what's this? Um, I don't know how it works in y'all's theater chains, but. In the United States, 
a lot of movies, especially the ones from the big studios. So they'll start off with the with the standard trailer roll-in package. They do this especially with like DC movies um, here in the United States. Maybe they do there. I don't know. So they'll play all the standard trailers that you're used to. And then they'll play one or two select like Warner Brothers slash Legendary trailers. And then your Batman movie starts or whatever. <laughs> um, so you so you like a, so sometimes it causes the effect of you think the actual movie's starting, but it's actually like you know, like if it was Jurassic whatever, you'd see like two universal trailers like, you know, before your movie or something. Um I yeah, I think they usually save that for IMAX, and I don't go to IMAX too much, because uh, the one IMAX in my area was kind of fucked up for the longest time, but they finally re- re- restored it, so it's looking pristine now, so I might try to go more often. Yeah, I think, yeah, I used to go all the time when I lived in the city, but now it's few and far between um, since I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, okay, so I watched... I guess the one that you just watched, which I had never seen, but then I searched a little broader and I did see a different one that came out prior. Um, I sent the link. Oh no, I didn't send it. I just sent it now in Messenger. So the one I just sent you, I saw this approximately two months ago uh, at the theater um, and I just totally forgot. (laughs) I mean, I saw it and I remember I was like, ooh. And then I just kind of <laughs> forgot about it, <laughs> um, but it's different. It's a it's a very different kind of trailer or teaser than the one I just watched. Yeah, when are they going to release the, a proper trailer? Uh, probably the way they usually do these things because I follow this a lot. It would probably be November December if it's a summer movie for next year. That's probably the first time they'll do the the first proper trailer. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen this one. Hmm. Do you remember what movie uh, you saw in front of? I'm just guessing it was... Um, it could have been Top Gun. It could have been Everything Everywhere. I don't know. It was around that time when those movies came out. Oh, maybe it was Top Gun. I missed that one in the theater. still haven't seen that one in general, actually. Oh, that, is, that, is, that is a theatrical experience or a serious home movie theater experience. Yeah, I'm choked I missed it. Not to watch on a phone. <laughs> yeah where's david lynch with his uh i don't know if you ever saw that clip of him raging about not wanting people to watch his movies on their fucking cell phones yeah i think i have seen that it's going off <laughs> yeah yeah top gun it, it that's one of the things that puts it way over the top the original over the original um is that the stuff that you see with the planes um the fact that everything you see was done in practical effects is fucking mind-blowing. Now, of course, there was still optical trickery here and there, you know what I mean? But still, the fact that you're looking at real planes doing real things and the stuff that you see them do is just... And the fact that whenever they sh- show cockpit, cockpit um, point of view or of any kind with the actors... It was all actually filmed at altitude with the actors being in real cockpits and that really stands out because in the original top gun the actors were never 
in a real plane, like whenever they showed them in the cockpit, you know, reacting or, or doing anything. Mm -hmm. It was never in a real plane in the sky. So that like just completely jumps out at you that they're really fucking there. Like, you know, they're fucking there. Mm -hmm. And when they take G's like on their face, it's like it's real, you know? Yeah, and Top Gun's never been one that I've uh, revisited. That's partially why I held off. I was going to rewatch the original. Because I've seen it on it, TV. It's fine. The, the original is perfectly fine, but the new one, holy shit. It, it makes the argument similar to Nolan. Like, please, please use CG to the absolute minimum if possible. Because um, the results like just stick out at you so much when you see stuff like that. Man, that's been Tom Cruise's... Uh kind of movement for a while so it's yeah. nice that he it's amazing. got a big one with this movie it's it's truly amazing um, and I'm, I'm so glad that movie did so well and it's furthering the narrative some people call it anti-woke the, the, the movement right now that's not a good name for it because anti-woke sounds like going the opposite direction of woke which it is to a degree but Instead of being called anti-woke, it should just be called no-woke. You know what I mean? I haven't seen the movie, so I, I can't say again. I don't. No, not about the movie. I'm talking about the movement itself. And that movie is just one in the movement. Um, what I mean is, like, let's pretend everything woke is like food with added sugar. So, if you said anti-sugar, then... That might mean instead of sugar, we're gonna use salt because we're going like the opposite direction. But but I don't think that's accurate because it's not subtracting sugar, adding salt. It's simply subtracting sugar. You see what you see what I mean? Well, well, let me ask then for for Top Gun. Does that mean that it's like not a multiracial cast? There's no LGBT references or anything political, um... anti-war. Again, I don't know what woke really means anymore. I'll mention this, by the way. <laughs> I was editing, because uh, I've finally gotten to this massive backlog of uh, bonus episodes. And in one of them, the two of us were discussing woke. And you were describing it as kind of a weaponized version of progressive politics. But I feel like even that now isn't necessarily what people label woke. Because they're like, oh, any sort of you know, inclusion of multiracial caste, that is considered woke. I don't necessarily consider that. Yeah, but see, that's like the late. That's but that's lazy though, because so the people who are the alarmists, like on social media or YouTube, they're the the ones who are most easily triggered. So if they just see a brown face, they just go woke, woke. But see, that's that's lazy because it's not just a brown face that makes it woke. There needs to be other elements, and that I watch a lot of stuff criticizing like Star Trek Discovery or, or Strange New Worlds and and that's what the reaction is to some by some the, by the alarmists on Strange New Worlds like oh my god there's three ladies on the bridge ah it's fucking woke but it's simply having three ladies doesn't make it woke and there's some other stuff but I can't say it because we haven't got there yet and so I don't know if you've seen it in Strange New Worlds so I don't want to spoil anything there's some other stuff that some that's people knee-jerkly react to as woke that's because you're lazy and alarmist because um, I don't necessarily agree with yeah. that but um, that was always my criticism is it was almost like a crutch for people who couldn't actually come up with real complaints they were just lazily throwing out woke because maybe they weren't smart enough yes, to I, yes it is over it's overplayed 
but it still has a there's still something there even if people overplay it another way because to answer your question that you just or when we we're talking about top gun just now so think of woke as not exactly but analogous to affirmative action so like the nfl traditionally and classically has very very few um quarterbacks of color or head coaches of color there's there's been some for for sure but you know one out of 32 two out of out of 32 it's always been like really low on the ratio yet you know there's tons of black players as a whole but extremely few quarterbacks or head coaches so so now you've recognized there's a deep imbalance so affirmative action would say we need to bend over backwards and look as hard as we can you know we need to see more candidates for quarterback or head coach who are black or people of color you know what i'm saying um we need to go out of our way to look for them to increase the numbers rather than to say well no let's just continue now oh oh another good example is i can't remember what city's orchestra it was it was like new york or chicago or somewhere and for years the way they would audition new people for the symphony orchestra is they would do blind auditions so the judges there would be like a curtain so the judges couldn't see who the violin violinists they couldn't see if it was a male a female an asian you know what i'm saying hmm. so the purpose was to obviously judge them just on the merit of how they played their instrument without knowing their physical characteristics their age or anything and traditionally that's how they had done it for years and years and then recently because there was a lack of diversity of certain ethnicities or genders they discontinued doing the blind auditions so that they could see like it's mm. a female or it's an asian woman or whatever okay so so that's like okay now we're seeking out because and the way you justify affirmative action is because you say there's an imbalance you know it's been 20 years it doesn't seem like things are naturally sorting themselves out like there's not becoming more black coaches or black quarterbacks so mm -hmm. so the the assumption is there's some prejudice involved because this should have corrected in the last 20 years so to get over the prejudice or um, we are now going to interview more people of color and da, da 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 So people who are opposed to this practice look at it as this isn't fair because now you're putting your finger on the scale, so to speak, um, with your hiring, whether it's for the symphony or for sports or whatever. Or, you know, there's a lack of women in engineering, so we need to create more engineering hiring programs you know in colleges just so you know we can get more female engineers or whatever because we need to put our finger on the scale because this is not sorting out the way it's supposed to and maybe it's because of the patriarchy who knows what it is but we need to weight the scale in the opposite direction so mm -hmm. keeping with my analogy that's what we have seen in like bbc television since the turn of the century i mean into the 21st century um you know they bent over backwards to diversity cast like their background characters their main character actors and actresses and everything you know everyone knows that that bbc actively sought to diversify you know through standing orders 
you know and it's a similar thing with the oscars when they made their quotas you need to have this many people of color um behind the camera in front of the camera in order to qualify so this is so that's why i say it's analogous to affirmative action because someone's putting their finger on the scale intentionally um and so that's 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 one component of wokeness in a lot of movies and properties where we're in star wars the inclusion of princess leia being a female orlando being a black man was just because it, it was what it was nobody like said you know the studio we must have a black man we must have a, a strong woman character same thing for ridley ripley in alien it just was because what it was because the creator made it so you know dorothy was well, dorothy because slightly the creator okay, okay understood but in modern times when they like disney star wars no, it's it's no accident that literally all the new characters who are quote unquote good guys, and actually most of the bad guys too, but especially the good guys, they are all what's that? Um, they're all BIPOC or or female. There's not a single Caucasian male who's a new character, non-legacy. The only white guy was like Hux or whatever. Uh, who was obviously on the imperial side? Every single one is a person of color, gender queer, um, or a female. Adam Driver. Oh, you're right. Yes, Adam Driver would be. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, again, bad guy, or is he? But yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's that, and then that's exactly what they did with Discovery. That's exactly what they did with Picard. My my thing holds true that um, any new characters. Um, same thing with Doctor Who, after Peter Capaldi left. Um, every single new character. Wow. Oh, there's Graham or whatever his name is. Yeah. But um, and Dan. Yes. Well, yes, Dan, and I know it was very surprising, uh, Dan. Um, but like in Star Trek, especially, uh, every new character has been um, person of color, gender queer, or female. And if it was a male and they were Caucasian, they were evil every single time in the in the paramount star star trek the, the paramount plus star trek um and that's considered like the wokeness in other words it's like affirmative action it's these people were specifically sought out because of those characteristics overwhelmingly and again i i posit it is but it isn't what they were doing with the original star trek in the 60s well i i don't know i mean yeah there wasn't a studio mandate we need to do this it was a creator being like this is something that's not there yes and that's totally different except when it's like a crappy novel and the person just did it because they're a bad writer added diversity or whatever um for no reason other than and that's why they everyone keeps oh god yeah and that's why people over like react to like the gender swapping like when you reboot the ghostbusters or i didn't see the movie apparently i didn't realize that's what they did well, I kind of knew, but like with the, the most recent Terminator film, um, and they did it with Star Wars, of course. But I mean, they've been doing this for since the 90s. I, that's what I always find strange about the woke, anti-woke movement. Just like, where were you guys 20 years ago? I mean, they've been doing this all this time. Maybe it just took people a while to realize. Well, no, no, which part, which was, yeah, but now you're leading to another argument I brought up a lot. Like, what do you mean? Give me an example of what you mean in the 90s. Oh, in terms of just, I mean, that's where the whole inserting token black characters really came from. 
they're doing it all over the place in the 90s franchises they would just kind of shove these these people in clumsily most of the time usually just stereotypes flat out but no one was very complaining then yeah and that's funny and it's funny because people did complain about that at the time or they complained about classically what's her name in gone with the wind and instead of looking at it as the extremely progressive thing that it was in 1939, they retroactively look at it as a caricature and just making fun of and diminishing. But people complained even then. Oh, of course they did, because of course there was a lot more racist back then as well, like legitimate open racist. Um, oh, I mean black. Of course, people. but that's why it was. But that's why it was so brave and progressive in a good way at the time. Um, and it, and it's, it sucks when people retroactively shit on it and want to ban Gone with the Wind retroactively because that would be like 100 years from now banning, um, I don't know, the girl Ghostbusters because it's it's so weird. It's because the snake starts eating its own tail. It always happens with everything. I mean, it happens on the right too, but these are examples like on the progressive side where the snake starts eating its own tail because so now people want to ban Gone with the Wind because it has this archaic depiction of a African-American woman and they want it banned. They don't want that movie to be recognized or remembered or talked about or heralded or anything. But then when you look into studying the film and in the context of 1939, you discover that, you know, she was nominated and I maybe won for best supporting actress, the, the woman who played the role and and she was like the Uhura of her time. She was like the Nichelle Nichols of her time for the big screen. She she was afraid to attend the Academy Awards because of all the potential backlash. But she was like encouraged to, you know, you, you need to go. You need to go. You need to be there in person. You know what I mean? Don't worry about all those people who are screaming like you shouldn't be at the ceremony or whatever. And she went and she got the award. And so they say in the special features, like, you know, it's like the, the proudest thing of her life that, you know, that she got to do that. And she was that person in the moment in history. And like I said, and then now people want to ban the movie and don't want to talk about it or they want to expunge it from history. And that's crazy. But, you know, it's, it's oh, everything. Well, uh, that's going a little <laughs> bit off from the uh, the black tokenism of the 90s. But <laughs> I understand. But you just reminded me of that because. As me and Sean have been exploring the older movies of Best Picture and 1001, time and time again, you see these good examples. Because that's the other thing about the wokeness. That's why I was asking about the 90s. Because everyone pretends like this just started in 2010. Like, strong female characters. But mm -hmm. the more we keep watching, me and Sean kept watching all these old movies from every decade you could think of. Time and time again strong woman character in this movie from 1930 whatever strong woman character 1940 something strong woman character 1950 something and i'm like what the fuck every single decade wow. has numerous examples of like really well done like leading woman characters and there's there's countless of them but everyone pretends like they never existed. The most recent examples are, are obviously Leia and Ripley. But there's examples of those types of heroines throughout all decades of film that are like three-dimensional, like fully formed, like really good characters. And people pretend like none of them have ever existed. And then we're just setting the record straight now, like in, in modern times. And that's the other thing that disgusts me. Um, 
because they completely well, wiped the history like it never happened. I think most of that comes from just general ignorance about the history of film. Yes, you're absolutely right. But that's the thing. And that goes back to my lazy reactionary. And again, it's on both sides. People who don't do the homework. But uh, I think it's also unfair to, to act like, I mean, those are probably the minority depictions at the time. I mean, <laughs> I think most of the time films were very much centered on the male point of view. Most of the time. You're right. Show. You know, you're right at all because... That's, but see, here's the thing. There was literally thousands upon thousands of Westerns, right? From the silent mm-hmm. era onward. Just like there's countless pop songs that have existed. Let's just start with the 1950s till now. But when you listen to an oldie station, you only hear the best of the best of those pop songs or what's considered mainstream best of the best from the 50s onwards there's countless pop songs that you've never heard of that were number one for like a hot second like in 1961 or 58 and you'll hear it you go i never heard this song in my life that was number one um and those thousands upon thousands of westerns that are made most of them don't exist anymore you can't you know like they, they never got printed on disc or video and because we only remember the great ones, like the good, bad, and the ugly, etc. And you'll find that you're right, even though the imbalance was nine, I don't know, I'm making up numbers. 95% of all Westerns mainly dealt with strong male characters. And only 5% were like, included strong female. I'm just making that up. Mm-hmm. But see, a lot of the lists of great Westerns, you'll see, I'm making up more numbers. 30% of them have strong female characters rather than even though overall it's 5%. And I think this is my theory. I haven't proven it's a theory I've been working on since we started watching 1001 and stuff. The reason these movies got remembered, the reason they got on these best of lists, 100 greatest westerns, was because they had those strong, fully formed characters other than the typical male mm-hmm. hero types. So. So you don't remember all those pop songs that were just one-hit wonders, flashes in the pan, but you remember the Beatles and their hits because they were they're they're now considered much more significant contributors, to, you know, to the overall pop music. And so even though there, you're right, there was such an imbalance throughout time overall. I think history has borne that some of the most memorable were because, and I think that's why I. The more I, I was watching movies from the 1001 list, I realized, and I'm not saying it's bad, but movies got a bump because, um, like, um, like Ali, uh, you know, that movie's dealing with a very contentious romance because she's a white European, he's a, a person of color from Morocco. That's already wow. Number two, they have a serious age difference. So it's checking off two major boxes. And on top of it all, it's not just a affirmative action hire. Hey, we just want to do this because it's stunning. It's shock value. It's actually a legitimate three-dimensional movie. I mean, three-dimensional as far as character development, motivation, etc. Plus cinematography, editing. So... It checks the boxes of progressivism in the mid-70s, but it's also a solid 
piece of art at the same time. And that's the problem with like the newer Charlie Angels, Charlie's Angels, or the newer Ghostbusters. They checked the boxes of inclusivity, they just didn't check the boxes of actually making good art. Well, I would also argue the previous uh, remake of, or I guess reboot of Charlie's Angels didn't work either. Or the previous uh, Ghostbusters 2. I mean, well, that's true, but at least, but at least it got a good return at the box office. The original two, but the third one completely bombed out. The one with Christian Stewart. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and nobody had any interest in seeing that revived. <laughs> but the point of this whole um, tirade right now uh, is because actually, I I didn't actually want to talk about Top Gun per se, but I'm just starting. So I, again, I put Spider Man into. It's not anti-woke, it's just sans-woke. Um, it's the lack of woke, but not going the opposite direction. Uh, and going out of its way to be all male or anything like that. Um, so that's like Spider-Man. That's Top Gun. And the reason I'm bringing these up is because these things are doing like really well. The series Yellowstone. Um, and now, most recently, the thing I just watched um, at the beginning of this week... I finally got to the terminal list. Have you heard of that on Amazon Prime? Nope. So it's a series that came out on July 4th, um, and, and Chris Pratt is the executive producer and the lead in the series. And so I heard of it, but I was like, yeah, okay, I'll get to that whenever, because it's a genre that I'm not normally into, like like kind of like the Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy genre. I'm not mm. necessarily into that. Um, so I was like, I'll get to it. But as the weeks have gone by since July 4th, like, I just keep hearing more about it, more about it, more about it. It's been like a slow build. And so I was like, okay, I got some time. What is this all about? Let me check it out. (laughs) So I watched the first episode and I was like, Ooh, that was interesting. Um, cause I had seen the first episode of the Jack Ryan series when it came out, the new one. And it was okay, but it didn't really like connect with me in any particular way. But the terminal list did, and I was like, "Ooh, this was that. That's interesting." Just on based off one episode. So then I did what I always do. I knew I heard it was based off a novel, so I was like googling, you know, about the novel, and like nothing would come up. And I was like, I could have sworn this is based off a novel, but nothing would come up when I was searching for. The terminal list novel um only thing that comes up is the series so okay i go to the wikipedia page for the series and it says oh yeah based on a novel by this guy and i'm like okay i wonder what else this guy has written and so i'm googling his name it's like he doesn't exist on the internet and i'm like wait a second like is it because this book is new is this his first book but no, he's now written five books. It's a five-book series. You cannot find... There's no Wikipedia entry that exists on the book, the book series, or the author. Now, this like completely set off my spidey sense. Like, what is going on? Because every time I look up a famous book... And it also, the book was a New York Times bestseller. How does that not have a Wikipedia entry? So now I'm starting to get like... Okay... Is there something more afoot here? And I, yeah, there is. Um, I mean, just based on my own Googling. Because um, you know, the, all this shit about how Google, you know, 
selectively, you know, censors things and other things and blocks some things and promotes other things, you're, you know, you're aware mm-hmm. of all this, right? Yep. And every now and then, now I, I use an alternate browser every now and then, one that doesn't have any filters so that I can see the real internet. And it's crazy because it's like looking through the looking glass or something. Because, again, people don't realize how filtered everything is on Google at large. So if you Google the terminal list, everything that comes up, everything, well, maybe one or two things, not, but everything else is extremely, extremely negative about the terminal list. And all article, you can try this yourself later. Everything that comes up will say, oh, the terminal list, like, you know, Chris Pratt continues to offend and lose like his former fans um the terminal list is um what they call it um right wing warmongering revenge porn and fails epically like every single thing that comes up sounds like that and i'm like what the fuck (laughs) so then i use a browser that's not google and while I still see that stuff, then you start to see the other stuff that comes up, which is terminal list is triggering the um, triggering the woke. You know, the woke critics are up in arms and completely triggered by the terminal list. It's overwhelmingly, you know, ninety five percent with with the people, thirty seven percent with critics on Rotten Tomatoes. This shit makes me crazy, man. I mean, the way everything's weighted, um, like I said, there is no Wikipedia entry. When have you ever seen that for a best-selling author that has multiple bestsellers? When have you ever seen that? Yeah, that's fair. That is weird. Yeah, definitely weird. Mm. And so I watched it, and I don't think it's right-wing warmongering. They call it um, 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 militia man. Um, like hyper fantasy or like (laughs) oh my god all these hyperbolic like descriptions um in my opinion it's just like top gun in the sense that it's not woke that's it that's it that's its only crime it's not woke and it's just not made for that audience it's analogous to movies in the 80s like the like the original rambo movies um commando you know those movies that are like they don't really have a big message other than anti-communist or anti-russian you know what i mean you could call them like 80s propaganda films you know um i think that's fair well i think the uh do you mean the sequels for rambo or the the first one too because i feel like the first one had a big message oh no it did no 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 it had to have a serious message and so does the terminalist it's very much inspired by the first rambo and many other things um, but I mean, yeah, the first Rambo, the second, you're right, it does have a message, but it's still largely an action movie for men, even if it does have a serious message. Um, well, I don't know about that first one. The sequels, definitely two and three. Yes, you're right. Macho Man action, but first one, it's almost like condemning the response of America to Vietnam vets. You're right. Responding the way that veterans were, were kind of treated by the government. Well, here's the thing. Here's the rub. Here's the rub. You are correct, but two things can be true at the same time. Yeah, you are correct, but it's also correct 
that it still favors a male audience who just likes action. Yeah, that's fair. Who don't think about the message. And the people who are lazy on the opposite side of the aisle don't give a fuck if it has a serious message. They care more that it just caters to men's fantasies. Mm. And that's the same thing I would argue with the terminal list because while it is action fantasy a la 80s movies, I would say it's more like the first Rambo than it is like the Rambo sequels. But Google won't let you discover that. And they won't tell you that in any of the articles that they show. No one is telling you that there's a, a strain of the original Rambo intent in it. Because I feel there is. Because what you just said, it kind of shows like the government perhaps exploiting young men and forcing them to be in a war that they didn't agree with and abandoning them i feel like there's an element yes there's an element of that in the terminal list but you would never discover it because it's being completely muffled well i do see a lot of articles about jack carr responding to negative uh reviews of the series i see a lot of those articles but i'm not sure i didn't click on them so i'm not sure what he's saying I didn't see a lot of those until I was using my, my alternate browser. And so I thought it was fucking fantastic. It wasn't perfect, but I thought the series as a whole was fucking fantastic. Um, I think it's the greatest quote-unquote action series I've ever seen, ever, um, sure. because of the highest quality of the writing, the, the cinematography, the effects, the action sequences for a television, quote-unquote television series. I think it's the greatest I've ever seen. Um, I wanted to talk to Sean about it the next time we... Because I haven't talked to him for a while on the internet or in any form. And I wanted to bring this up to Sean, which is... um, Obviously, he loves, you know, mystery films and um, the mystery genre. And, of course, he's in love with, you know, like the construction of it. You know, how do you create the mystery story you know do you start with the reveal and then try to figure it out retro you know you know you know like the the inner bits of the clock so i want to bring up to him that these action thrillers like tom clancy stuff Mm. the stuff that's good the the thrillers that really work you could even argue the da vinci code because the, the da vinci code it's constructed like a like a theme park ride you know yeah, they have to get the timing just right on the coaster, and then the things have to pop out at the right moment, and there has to be like a logic to the sequence of events, you know, when you're on a good ride, and or you make a good mystery. Like you, you want the people to be guessing, and you gotta set up like you know bluffs and double bluffs to, to get them off the trail of who the real killer is, because the terminalist, without me getting into spoilers. Once you realize what it's about, you go, okay, I know what this template is for this overall story. And then they keep you guessing to an extent, like, okay, are all these tropes going to play out the way I think they are? And without trying to spoil it all, I have to say, I go, oh, wow, they got, you know, I was like, I thought this was the thing and oh, they got me. Wow. But then I was like, but it's not over. There's more. And then they double got me. And I was like, wow. And it made me think of the prestige with the Michael Caine character. And he talks about the present. I can't remember the words, but the presentation and then the turn and then the prestige. Mm-hmm. You know, remember he talks about 
parts of a trick and how I said, you know, it's almost like explaining like a movie. You know, you set up the world, there's the turn, and then there's the unexpected reveal, which is the prestige. And I felt like that's how the Terminal List series was because I, I go, oh, okay, I get the setup. Ah, I see the turn. And then I thought I got the prestige and I was like, that was really good. But that was actually another turn I didn't realize. And then there was the prestige. And I was like, oh, man, well done. Like, you really got me. That's what happened to me with the first time I watched the first Harry Potter. Um, because I remember going into it. Oh, interesting. I remember going into the movie. Okay, I heard this is a really popular. Well, I already knew it was a really popular kid's novel. I want to go check it out and see if it works like for adults or older people. So I was watching it. I go, oh, okay, I see. There's someone evil. They're hidden in the school. Okay, someone's pulling the strings. And remember, there was all these clues that um, it was either Snape or... Um, yeah, I think it was, it was Snape. And I was like, oh, so Snape yeah. is like working with somebody. And he's like saying these spells and making them lose at Quidditch. Oh, I got it. I got it. I get this kid's movie. I got it. I got it. But then the dude turn, takes off his turban, and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. There's this thing on the back of his head. Oh, shit. It's not Snape. No, that was a diversion. It's actually this fucker on the back. Of, oh, my God. I just thought he was wearing the turban just to be a weirdo. I didn't know he was hiding that Voldemort was on his head. And that's when I went, oh, shit. This isn't just for kids. Because you have to actively think this through. Like, there's more here. It's not just a kid's story. And that's how that's what happened with the terminal list. Like I thought it was gonna be, oh, it's another action ride. Cool. But then there was the twist, and then there was the second twist. And I did not see it coming, and it was so satisfying with, with the reveal. And I was just like, wow. And then all the fucking articles, aside from their hyperbolic titles. They just go, oh, some more lazy writing, formulaic series, nothing new here, you know, don't waste your time, watch something else instead. And I'm like, did they watch it? Or are they just fucking geniuses? I knew how it was going to end from the very... Really? Really? First of all, I don't know if they actually saw the actual end. And then number two, if they did, did they really know that? Because, okay. Right. Yeah, I feel like with TV shows, like almost all the reviews that you see, like come from like the first episode. Like everyone's reviewing the pile, and like, oh, immediately it's a it fell down on its face at the start. It's complete crap. I've seen it all before. Oh, but I did want to say, yeah, the first thing that I see when I search up the terminal list is yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes score forty percent, but then right beside it's the IMDb score eight point one, and then right below that there's ninety percent of Google users like this show, so. So at least for my Google, not not completely negative. That's good. And then you go down. It's yeah. The first thing I see when I go down is uh, will the terminal list be renewed for a second season? Well done, Canada. Why it's great to see Chris Pratt return to TV. Yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe the U.S. Google is just I don't know. That's crazy. Maybe it's U.S. Google or of course my Google is set up for me. So maybe Google knows what I typically Google. You know what I mean? My trends. Hmm. Maybe they're artificially trying to do like what I was saying and like bend over backwards to like try to counter the type of stuff that I normally Google. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're trying to weight the scale the opposite direction. 
Yeah, they do do that, like, catering to certain pockets where they try to, like, yeah, keep people... Yeah, that is that is weird either way, but... <laughs> either way, I don't like it, because you don't know what you're really supposed to be looking at. Because you're seeing everything yeah. through a filter, whether it's a rosy filter or the opposite of a rosy filter. I just don't want a filter. Just let me make my own decision, make my own choices. But, yeah, whatever. Okay, only two more things. I just thought about the tournament as I went and took care of my business. Oh, sure. Um, what were they? Well, I remember oh, the, se- the second one was I was just thinking, hmm, what's the deal with this Wikipedia situation? Because Wikipedia is obviously user generated. So there obviously has to be tons of fans of the books and the author. They probably did make Wikipedia pages, you know, in the past for him and the books. Yeah, this is just me thinking it through in real time. And so then, but I bet people opposed to the quote-unquote agenda in the books and the author, they probably started editing the Wikipedia page too, and it probably got out of hand with people on both sides mm-hmm. trying to give their extremist take one way or the other. And so maybe they just took them off of Wikipedia completely because it was just getting out of hand with like the edits and counter-edits. I don't know. That's just my theory off the top of my head as to why there's no entries. Um, and I had a second thought about it. Either way, that's real strange. Really <laughs> bizarre. Hell yeah. And Oh, and my other thought, it plays into my other theory that I've been working on for the last year or two um, that I've mentioned before to you and Sean separately and together. That like, there's certain movies that I think don't click with people. Like, Someone might think Godfather Part 3 is uh, two and a half, three stars at best. Uh, um, mm. Interstellar is three stars at best because they think, oh, it's an okay movie, but it's not a classic. It's not, you know, up there with, you know, higher things. And, and it used to bother me. And then I realized a while back, oh, all these people who just think Interstellar is okay and not no pun intended, stellar, is because there's certain elements they're not connecting with, such as perhaps parentage and progeny and generational, because so many of the people I saw who found it middling were grown adults in their 20s, 30s, and 40s with no children. And I was like, I think there's something to that if you've never experienced parenthood and connecting with not just Interstellar, but many movies that deal with those types of situations. Um, and then that was my original take, was like it had something to do with parentage, or lack thereof. And then I can't remember what my second idea was that like, um, of like lack of connection. Oh, oh I, I kind of brought it up. Well, I didn't bring, I didn't bring it up too much. I'm, not with you guys, but with other people. Like Black Panther, because everyone I knew who was black was like over the moon for Black Panther when it first came out. Like just the idea of it. Mm -hmm. They were like way over the moon. And I don't know if I told you this story, but when I saw it, initially I wasn't going to see it on day one, but the last second, because the hype was getting too big, I bought a ticket the last second. And the only theater I could go to that was big was Dimax in downtown San Antonio, which I don't normally go to because that's sort of like a touristy area. Um, but it was the only tickets left, like in the entire city. 
everything was sold out <laughs> and i'm talking about like 20 different theaters were sold out um and it, wow. and i got a ticket downtown and so we went to the movie obviously and the theater was like the audience was like 50 percent black and yes there are many mm-hmm. black people who live in san antonio it's obviously a metropolis but i had never seen such a con- uh, excited when I went to some actual black theaters, quote unquote, like in Kentucky, Virginia, Washington D.C. I had never seen so many black people in a theater at the same time in San Antonio, and so I was like, "Whoa! Like this movie must really be something." And it wasn't just like black teenagers or black college age. There was like couples who were like in their 50s going on a date with each other like i never mm-hmm. seen anything like that like it was black people of all ages all genders and i was just like where am i right now and then when the movie was over there was like just different groups of people or friends like outside the theater who were like just dancing like playing hip-hop music loud and just having a good time and so it just made me think, mm-hmm. holy shit, this is like a cultural phenomenon, because I've never seen anything yep. like this. And so then in some podcasts, I quietly, because I don't try to stir the pot that much publicly, but I was like, okay, I get it, because it didn't personally, like, I don't have any personal connection. I thought it was a mediocre Marvel film myself, but I recognize that for other people who have this attachment, um to their culture or whatever it's something else and then when coco came out afterwards i said okay i kind of get the black panther thing not that i was over the moon because oh look big pixar movie historic uh hispanic themes but i had to admit there was a little bit of feeling in the theater was like holy shit how mexican is this and it's not like i'm all about brown pride or anything like that or i'm not saying i'm against it either but I was like, okay, I feel a little bit of this. I get it, um, you know. So that's so that's the racial component, um, and then um, and then so now I'm starting to extend it to other things. And so the reason I bring it up in, in terms of the terminal list because another thing they say in a lot of those hater articles is it's like militia man fantasy that hmm. that one man on his own terms with his own guns could topple the u.s government a la january 6th or something Ugh. Ugh. Such, a, oh, such a ridiculous comparison but my point is all these haters i get it if you're not a veteran or grew up in a veteran type of family with like a lot of extended family who served that's another type of you either get that connection or you don't and if you don't have it, it's hard to get it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no... Mm-hmm. How could I artificially acquire some blackness? It'd be one thing if I grew up in a black neighborhood, but I obviously didn't. So how could I acquire it now? You know what I mean? Um, and so how could you acquire that affinity for stuff that happens to appeal to veterans if you don't have any real-world contact with that? And so I realized that's another element at play that all these critics, probably most of them don't have many connections like that. Therefore, it's like so easy for them to mock it as like veteran militiaman fantasy. 
anyway. Yeah, and I talk about that to Isaac every now and again, where I feel like there's so many military characters that have no... They feel like they're completely blank, and it's like you're supposed to imprint on them just because they're a military character. And I feel like, for a lot of veterans, that'd be a lot easier to do. But for me, I just I feel like nothing to them. Yeah, and then that's why... Yeah, you can be a veteran and enjoy Commando, even though that literally is like a complete 80s fantasy. Um, <laughs> but then when you watch something like the aforementioned Rambo First Blood, or something like The Terminal List that's written by a Navy SEAL veteran himself, you feel the realism. Like, this guy knows what he's talking about, because it's in the details, you see? And maybe that's why the Jack mm. Ryan series didn't work for me, because I remember when I watched the first episode or two, there were certain details that, like, that's just wrong. Like, you know, like, I guess, like, when a doctor watches a medical show, you just know that's not the way you do triage, you know? Um, and so there were certain things in the Jack Ryan where I was like, no squad leader would make that decision. Like, that's the stupidest decision ever. And so that throws you. But in the terminal list, they get all that shit right. Or if you watch a good movie like Private Ryan or Black Hawk Down, they get everything right, and so then you can tell, oh, this is this is something else. This is like legit.